Hello and welcome back to Kvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend Ellie Cawthorn for another journey through the cinema of Iceland. First things first, a reminder that you can follow us on social media, where we are at Kvikminderpod, that's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and you can subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rating and or reviewing us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts helps us get seen by more people, so please do that if you haven't already, and thank you to those who have. We also have a Ko-fi page where you can support us if you like what you hear. That's ko-fi.com slash k-v-i-k-m-y-n-d-a-p-o-d. All our links can be found on Insta, Twitter, and in the show notes. This week, we return to the documentary format for 2010's Gunnar, a film all about a comedian's efforts to become mayor of Reykjavik. As the title suggests, it follows Icelandic celebrity Jón Gunnar, who we've seen pop up a few times over the course of this podcast, as he attempts to disrupt the mayoral elections and ends up in the running. The film is available to watch on dafilms.com, so if you haven't already, give it a go and then join us for our discussion. Hi, Rob. Hi, Ellie. (laughs) I started this off today. There you go. You did. And that took me quite by surprise, I must say. Um, How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. We're back at yours again. The home of great recordings, I hear. That's for our audience to judge, (laughs) not for me. (laughs) Uh, But we're here again. We are talking about a film this time very different from last week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and very different from, you know, most things we've covered. Yeah, completely, because we're talking about a documentary. And thinking about it, I think we've only really done one documentary before. Grandma Lo-Fi. Grandma Lo-Fi, but don't forget A Hero's Journey to the Third Pole. Oh, sorry, I had forgotten that, yeah. But both of them very different documentaries as well. Yeah. Obviously, Grandma Lo-Fi focusing on the life of an old musician. Hero's Journey to the Third Pole, looking at mental health. And then this one about a comedian becoming mayor of Reykjavik. Uh, And it's also different in style. We've got no interviews. There's no kind of background content. It's all just sort of verite style, following the action as it happens. And away we go. We're thrown in, aren't we here? I think this is probably intended primarily for an Icelandic audience who maybe have a bit more context on this story. Yeah, a bit more familiarity with... uh, the politics of Reykjavik, of the man running for mayor, because this week we are, of course, discussing Gnar, the documentary from 2010 by Guika Ulfason, who incidentally was a co-director on Thirst, which we covered a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> she wouldn't necessarily know from watching this, would you? You wouldn't be able to see the similarities there. No, although young Gnar does pop up in Thirst. I don't know if you remember. I did I did not clock this. We didn't talk about the uh, the animated sequence in Thirst but the guy who is sort of telling that creepy story driving the taxi is Jung Gunnar himself ah. yeah and we have seen him elsewhere as the president of Iceland getting ideas above his station there oh yeah in Woman at War and uh, where else did he pop up in Cop Secret as himself but this is all because he is a comedian Jung Gunnar he was a stand-up he made sketch shows. He made sitcoms. We spoke about one briefly a few weeks ago. Night Watch, uh, Day Watch, and then the film Mr. Bjorn Fredersson, 
which we haven't covered because reasons. <laughs> so that's kind of his background. He's a comedian, first and foremost. And this film sort of charts his rise to power. Yeah, his somewhat unexpected rise to power, should we say? Yeah, I suppose so. Because he started a party, didn't he? He started a party in Reykjavik. Essentially as a, a joke campaign. Well, not just a joke, a joke protest campaign, shall we say. Mm. The best party, because he felt that Reykjavik's politicians were corrupt and weren't serving the city's needs, yep. decided to do essentially a protest party with a load of ridiculous... Um, party declarations amazing of can what you they remember any of those um they were gonna get a disneyland disneyland we'll build yeah. a disneyland we'll have a polar bear in the zoo yep is there a zoo in Reykjavik? i didn't even know that i don't know maybe they'd have to build the zoo too <laughs> um free towels in all the swimming pools which i think is quite a good idea actually <laughs> obviously if we're talking about the like nitty-gritty of politics in Reykjavik, probably doing things for free is not the best idea it sounded like it was a tumultuous time for the city and the country. But yeah, he also promised things like free buses for students. And then he was like, scrap that, free buses for everyone. Do you know what I find really confusing about these party aims, but also about this film as a whole, is what the jokes are and what the joke, what aren't jokes? What are jokes yeah. and what aren't jokes? Because Disneyland, you can quite easily say, haha, good one. Sure. That's it's not clearly likely. a joke. Yeah. And then free buses for everybody seems not out of the realms of something that, you know, a mayor could do. No, for sure. Especially like free buses for students who notoriously have no money. Mm. It seems like a fair point to build your campaign around. I guess this is getting into this into the meat of the matter now, isn't it? That I think that's something that's throughout this film. Because we don't have any, as you say, interviews or straight to camera pieces or narration it's hard to tell where that shift lies. Basically, you just see things as they unfold. Um, you don't get any kind of, as I say, narration or curation in no. that sense. So it's hard to tell when this shift happens because this started as a complete joke campaign yeah. and he ended up running Reykjavik for four years. Uh -huh. So clearly there's a shift there, but it's hard to tell at what point that shift is. Yes, I guess this all stems from his style of comedy as well. Mm. He's very dry. It's very hard to know when he's trying to tell a joke, when he's trying to tell a bad joke, and when he's being serious. Yeah. And so that kind of creates this disconnect where you're like, well, uh, am, I, am I supposed to believe in you for this? Or... Or is yeah, Or am I supposed to just be laughing along? Because the only hint we get is his campaign manager... Heather, who laughs at most of what he says. <laughs> I, d I was wondering about that, whether it's something that's been a bit lost in translation, whether it's a language thing or perhaps a cultural thing. I know we've talked a lot on this podcast about the the nuances, shall we say, <laughs> of Icelandic humour and how they're not always that easy to interpret or translate, yeah. or whether that is just his style and he's more of a kind of unnerving he's clearly like got a surrealist streak and a sure. dry comedic sense like i can identify that but i think maybe a bit of it is lost in translation i think so and maybe you like you said before we're lacking context the only context we get for this whole film is that there was a financial crash 
in Iceland, which everyone the world over knew about. Gordon Brown says <laughs> yeah, it's makes unacceptable. An appearance here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everyone knew that was bad and it had like ruined the country. And then Eyjafjallajökull Yukul went off, disrupting, you know, even the tourism that they could have hoped to rely on. So everything was up in the air at this point in sort of 2008, 2009. And that's why he decided to to sort of form the best party. But that's kind of the context. Mm. We see throughout the film occasional sketches and skits from his shows, uh, including the controversial Hitler album where he sings various ABBA songs and things like that. Which, is it that controversial? Uh, Maybe in Iceland? It, it probably could be deemed so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay that's very fancy. i feel like I i've think seen some worse people, yeah i've seen worse but people could be offended by that yeah okay fine i guess it's to prove that his comedy is not just kind of completely soft and fluffy right it's yeah. to prove he's got this anarchic history yes which they all sort of play on and talk about throughout the film don't they and one of my favorite sequences actually was that kind of contextual montage where we have it's kind of the fastest pace section of the whole film and it's done right at the start. And I thought it was actually the most successful sequence of the film. So we have like footage of the situation in Iceland, like you say, the, the crash, Gordon Brown condemning them, mm-hmm. um, all the chaos, people kind of protesting, shouting, interspersed with his comedy output over the years, like very surreal, <laughs> weird comedy stuff, which I guess is, is giving you those two bits of context of what his background is and what the background of political situation is. But maybe it's not giving you quite enough if you really are going into this blind. Yeah, I guess the juxtaposition between stupid comedy and very, very important world politics. Yeah, that's kind of mad. But at the same time, that is all we get. Þú ætlaði raunverulega, góður landsmenn, 
að íslenska þjóðarbúið myndið ef allt færi á versta veg sogast með bönkunum inn í brimrótið og afleðingin yrði þjóðar I think it would have really maybe helped for a bit of narration to have a bit of narration or some kind of element of him reflecting on it mm. saying presumably he's pretty willing like his he's very on board with this project because it's got access to him behind the scenes this whole time he's talking very frankly in it well yes and someone even interviews him and says or someone even says to him was this whole mayoral run just so you could make a film about it <laughs> yeah exactly so i think it would have really helped maybe if they'd had him reflecting saying oh yeah um you know at the start of this i didn't even take it i wasn't taking it seriously mm-hmm. and then this started to happen do you feel like it could have done with a bit more of that yes i do i think it would have been great to have not rushed this out I feel like it came out in 2010. He only got into power in 2010, which means it was edited and re- released almost instantly. I would have liked to have seen either, like you say, interviews post-win that can reflect back along that journey or interviews post four years in office. That's what I was going to say. That would actually that would be more interesting than interviews post-win because post-win he's going to have to say, he's going to have to do the, you know, and now... I will do the best I can. So obviously I always took it seriously or whatever, deep down. And say, I can't give you free towels. I am yeah. going to have to close down kindergartens, all that kind yeah. of thing. Whereas, yeah, to do it now where there's a, enough time and distance, he's been out of power for quite a while. That would be really interesting, I think. Yes. But we don't get that. No, we're just <laughs> imagining a film here. Yes. But what we do get, we follow Yonganar, his campaign manager and single mother of two, Hey, the Helga dot here, as they sort of just do the rounds, essentially. And just sit snickering in the car like two little children <laughs> <laughs> at their own jokes. Yeah. Just, they clearly find themselves hilarious. Very I think funny. It's a little bit smug. A little bit. Do you think this whole project is a little bit smug? I don't I don't think it is. I don't think it to me it didn't come across as smug, but then I can't really read Yonganar's face when he's saying anything so Mm. potentially although when he finally starts transitioning into like oh it is a real thing oh i am gonna have to start taking this seriously and interacting with people properly you sort of see the real gna i think and and that helped me understand and feel a bit more emotion for him and empathy like when he when it's finally got to the point, he's like, okay, we better address various groups in the community. And he goes to the old people's home. And you can see in his eyes that he is... He does care. He does care. He's trying to be sincere. Obviously, he makes a joke about not boring the old people to death, which is amazing. <laughs> but it's re- it's there in his eyes. And he's, he's being very sincere. Same with when he's on the radio station with mm. the current mayor, Hannah Birner. And he's talking about, well, I'm not a comedian when... Yeah. I'm with my family when my dad died, etc. So you get a bit of his human side. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, this is, I mean, this is definitely made by someone, if they're not, if you couldn't call them in his camp, that then is on, on his side. I think you could say they're in his camp. I'm yeah. pretty sure Goika pops up around in one of the party round tables. And I think that that is clearly evident here. I mean, the 
current politicians. The thing is, I don't want to wade in because I don't know enough about the political system as it was in 2008 in Reykjavik. And I do, <laughs> really? I'm not really? sure you do either. But um, <laughs> they're presented here as super boring, super kind of uptight and um, very snooty. But then they're not really given any chance to speak their side of the, the no. story, which is obviously that they try... Well, again, like I say, I don't know the situation, but I would imagine they'd argue they were trying to run the city as best they can and it's not helpful for somebody to come and make all these promises that they can't keep mm-hmm. um, and take the piss out of everyone, basically. Yeah. Uh, they're constantly asking him, like, but how do you know how to run a city? Do you know what's involved, etc.? And obviously they don't. Uh, but I think... It feels like Heather does know something. She's organised this campaign pretty well, if you I, ask I me. I want to know about her background. background. Yeah, because she, oh, yes, like you said, she's there snickering away with, mm. with Jörn all the time. But she's managed to establish the party. They get voted in as candidates. She's got him talking at all the debates. She's got him doing the rounds of radio stations, TV shows everything that's involved with the political campaign. So she must have, even if not a background in political campaigning, a proper managerial head on her shoulders. It does make you think this, doesn't it, about what it would be like if somebody was like, right, Rob, Mm. you, first of all, you need to run a campaign for mayor of Bristol. Go. (laughs) Secondly, right, Rob, you are now mayor of Bristol. (laughs) Go to town. Good luck. Yeah. How would you even begin to? I honestly to do that. Have no idea, and I have no idea how they then were able to do it. I guess it's because there's probably such a framework in place that there's a lot of people already, civil servants and stuff, who know how everything works and can keep the ship afloat almost. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm so not a political person. Like, what is it that Jönkenar says at one point? He says he says something along the lines of politics is boring. And I totally agree. Obviously, in this country at the moment, it's quite interesting to watch what's going on without getting into it. But I don't really know anything about politics in general, let alone, like you said, the specifics of running a city in another country. And neither does he. And that would have been fascinating to watch that transition. Mm. But someone somewhere knew what they were doing. And it does appear that it's Heather. You know, um, we were saying earlier about, oh, if the film had had this narration, I also kind of had that thought about if this film was a totally different film, which (laughs) is I kind of want the film I really want to see starts with him getting into power and... It's probably a lot more boring, to be honest. This film is this imaginary film. Yeah. But is how he basically learns, I presume, learns to to run the, the city because he wasn't, you know, he was never forced out or anything. So he did his four years of, of service mm-hmm. and how he changed over that period and, and the choices that he had to make when he realised, oh, yeah, you can't do all these amazing things necessarily and have to be more pragmatic that to me is more interesting yeah i would have appreciated a follow-up tv series in a way Mm -hmm. the goings-on in city hall watching him on his first day like right what's the agenda oh fuck 
<laughs> I don't want to do all this. It's like, how much does he actually want to do any of that? Yeah, he's just, well, actually, that's a good question. From this film, what did you get in terms of, he seemed really happy when he won. Yeah. But is he thinking then about, oh, I've got to do a really intense administrative job for four <laughs> years now when I'm used to like writing sketches and... I think, well, when when they win, he's talking about, is it, it's not voiceover, but he's doing an interview that's covering the footage of them winning. And he's saying something like, well, this is the time I either say, oh God, I'm really scared. I don't want to do it. Or I'd stand up and, you know, fight for the thing that I think is right, but puts essentially puts him in a position that he's not familiar with. But maybe he became just the figurehead and rather than someone doing any of the yeah. jobs, he yeah. signed the pieces of paper that someone passed him. And said, this is what needs to happen. Yeah, if he's got good advisors. Well, I, I haven't did... seen The West Wing, but I assume that there are people telling him exactly what to do all the time. I did read that he essentially had to give up. Obviously, he had to give up the ridiculous parts of his Yeah, which were, which were always a joke. Yeah. Yeah. And he did say they were always a joke, I think. Yeah, many, many times. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't think he ever said, here is my manifesto. Here's my real manifesto. This is what I aim to do for real. I don't think he ever says that. So I think most of what he does, like we said at the start, has to be taken as a joke, if not with a pinch of salt. Yeah. I don't know if you got that far and then you found that you actually won. Would you then be like, oh, I guess I have to be the mayor now for four years? <laughs> but also then dropping out, you're then like letting everybody down that's yeah. voted for you. But then have they voted for you because they actually want you to be in power or have they voted for you as a protest? Well, this is a question I was going to ask. Yeah, like, why have why have people voted in such huge numbers? Because, you know, at the end, we find out when he wins that they've beaten the other parties. So the other parties in Reykjavik are the Progressive Party, the Independence Party, the Social Democratic Alliance, I think, and the Left Greens and a bunch of other small parties that have probably put in just as much work and got absolutely nowhere. But best party, they win by 600 votes in a city where 60,000 people voted, which isn't a huge majority, but it is a majority. It got them in. But what, yeah, what possessed them to, to vote? Like you say, it's funny. It's upsetting the power dynamic in Reykjavik. But they... They didn't truly believe any of the things he said, did they? No, I guess that it's it's protest vote, I think. But actually, you raise a good point because maybe it would have been interesting if the filmmakers could have involved more general people. So mm. going to people on the street, and it's a bit vox poppy, isn't it? And the news, but and saying who are you voting for? Okay, you're voting for the best best party. Why is it a is it a protest vote? Is it because you just like Yon Gunnar? And you like his comedy. Do you think he will actually change things? That could have been interesting. Uh-huh. We, I think we get maybe two of those that are picked up by the news. Obviously, they're not filmed by the filmmakers. But yeah, any additional context around the voters would have been great. Because, because the narrative is great. This kind of joke rising and rising and rising. And you get stats occasionally throughout from the news of like, They've got two people in, 13% of the population voted for them or whatever, or are going to vote for them. And then it finally, 
we find out that in that stupid numbers of people have voted but just to kind of illustrate that rise would have been a bit more i don't know engaging I do think that there could have been more... You, you say that this documentary was kind of rushed out the door. Well, I don't know that. It feels like it. I feel like there could have been more inventive ways of using what they had. Hmm. Um, it's presented fairly plainly, isn't it? And it yeah. could really have been tarted up a little bit to add to the drama and the suspense. So that opening montage sequence where we get the context, I thought felt really dynamic and interesting. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't quite get anything like that for the rest of the film. No. Maybe, you know, we could have had some more sequences that felt a bit more editorialised. Sure. Like a bit more, like we're not just being presented with, here is what happened at this time. Could have been a bit more shaped into a dynamic, we're moving towards the election day feel. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, and I think in order for that to happen, the director would have had to, be asking questions constantly if he'd posed questions throughout those moments in the car or in city hall or wherever they are and got people's reaction at that point especially yon and hayther if he'd been asking pointed questions about stuff we would have got it would have felt more dynamic because would have got yeah emotion we would have got thought but instead like you say we literally just see it mm. happening and sometimes Gnar is sat down talking things through, but mostly he's just joking doing his, or laughing. Doing what he's up to that day, mm. yeah. There's not a lot, like you say, yeah, of interrogating his motives. We get that mainly from like his appearance in TV panels and things like that, uh-huh. where they're clearly like, what are you doing? Can we talk about a couple of those uh, those moments when he's on TV? Because I love the moment he's being interviewed... This is sort of towards the the end of the campaign and he's being interviewed by the by the blonde haired guy and things are getting serious. So he's like, I'm just going to cut to the chase. You ran a failed business, which apparently he'd forgotten all about. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. I've got many failed businesses in my past, but I just can't, <laughs> can't really remember any of them. No, uh, but I thought it was brilliant. He, he says that line about, you know, we th- I thought we paid off all our debts. I don't know how we end up bankrupt, which they find hilarious. Which is, it's funny, but for me, the funniest bit is the ju- is the juxtaposition between that moment where they're trying to be serious, but again, it all just descends into comedy. And then the next person up is a farmer singing an American song <laughs> called I Wonder <laughs> If She's Kissed Her Yet or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I think this whole film and that moment also has the, the feel of this is so interesting in terms of Icelandic society being so small mm. but having all the functions of like a not every other state so again like the, there's a joke 
about IKEA oh, and the size of IKEA. So good. Um, the size of IKEA compared to the amount of the the size of the population, um, and how in Iceland it's disparate, hugely disproportionate. Yeah. But it makes me think about you know if you grew up in Iceland and you're like oh I want to be um, a TV anchor, you'd have quite a good shot at it because there's not that many people to choose between. Or if you were like oh I want to be a politician, there's there's not that many people trying to go for that, presumably. Presumably. It is It is funny because they seem to have about 100 different radio stations. <laughs> yeah. So like, you want to you wanna do a radio show? Go right ahead. Which we can do that. The piece of, the, I, I read something that I found really useful when imagining this is that Reykjavik is about the size of Swindon. Obviously <laughs> very different. But just in terms of the numbers of people... Having all of those institutions with so few people is really interesting. It is, yeah. That's, I mean, I guess everywhere you go is slightly less busy than you'd expect it to be coming from outside. Does Swindon have an IKEA? Oh, I couldn't say. Probably. I think it has a decathlon. <laughs> okay, well, in these days, that's pretty rare. So they're doing well. But that IKEA joke is just fantastic. It works on so many levels. I don't know if he's telling the truth when he's saying the thing about the amount of people relates exactly to the square foot footage of the shop. But the, it builds so well because he's like the classic kind of imagine in your head the joke about the it being flat pack built. It just pops up out of nowhere. It's hilarious. He pops in the sort of political element of people protesting the smelter while it pops up with their backs to it, which is very good. And then he ends on Iceland as being worth four or five people from the rest of the world. I think that... He's a very talented comedian, clearly. Um, so hopefully he can turn his hand to anything. Ég sá viðtali í í fréttunum fyrir svona fyrir svona ári síðan við hérna forstjóra eða framkvæmdastjóra IKEA, þarna þetta nýja IKEA sem er þarna í Garðabæ. Og og er alveg stór furðulegt með þetta. Þetta var bara allt í einu komið þarna. Það var rosa skrítið. Man man sá þetta ekkert vera að byggjast upp á einhverum tíma. Það var bara bomm. Það var allt í einu. Það var eins og þetta hefði lent þarna. Þetta var rosa skrítið og, 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 já, og auglýsingin, mun ekki eftir auglýsingunni sem að þeir sýndu þarna eftir að opnaði þetta. Það var svona, það var svona par, þetta strákur og stelpa svona í, í einhverju svona lauta kela. Og svo allt í einu leit stelpan svona, og svona bomm, bara, það bara Ikea. Og þetta gerðist á nákvæmlega sama tíma og allir voru að mótmæla stækkun álversi. Það voru allir að mótmæla stækkun álversins og þá sneru þeir allir baki í Ikea. Og, og það er svo fljótlegt að henda upp svona Ikea þannig sem þeir bara í einhverjum kössum og svo bara... Og meðan allir voru að mótmæla, ekki stærra álver, þá komu svíjarnir bara á. Vinkluðu upp þessu húsi. I guess it's also just got that sense of quite a small community, isn't it? That probably, not everybody knows each other, but you'd be bumping into all these same people in the, in the pond. I feel like in Bristol, I bump into people on the street, whether I want to see them or not, quite a lot. And so in yeah. Reykjavik, you'd be seeing, you know, I saw the mayor of Bristol down the tip the other day. 
Did you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Getting rid of his old bits of wood. And um, <laughs> I imagine, you know, if you were in Reykjavik, you'd see Mayer's old past and present all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, I've spoken about it before. I was told you'd see Björk or Sigaross, and I did see Sigaross, you know, just walking around. So, yeah, as far as I'm aware, people, they all live in that tiny little city. So mm. you're going to see them. So people so will celeb- have been familiar. Celebra- celebrities interesting in that context, isn't it? When yeah. it's like, if you're a celebrity, but people are going to see you quite often. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting kind of relationship with people of a city. Yeah, but starting starting from that position of celebrity, yeah, you have those relationships pre-built, whether they're one-sided or not. People feel that familiarity with you, so can engage with you a little bit more than some boring person in a suit with glasses and grey hair, like he says. And maybe that's why everyone voted for him, whether they cared what he brought to the city or not. He's just a familiar character. Mm. Let's talk about the song. The best party song. The best song. party theme but song. But again, the point of is he being serious or joking when he says, oh, I write I wrote to Tina Turner and she said we could use this song. It That's def- not true, That's is it? That's definitely a lie. <laughs> like, I emailed IkeTurner at gmail.com. He could, he, get, he could get sued, couldn't he? Probably. But does Tina Turner really care that a small party in the mayoral elections of Reykjavik are using her song? <laughs> like, is he making any money from that? We, song? Sh- we should say it's simply the best. Simply the best. So very on the nose, but pretty funny. Yeah, it's quite good. Um, with his ramshackle collective of creatives, mm-hmm. uh, including Aina Ern Benedictson from Sugar Cubes, who did the soundtrack to 101 Reykjavik, throwing it right back oh. to the start. And we get to see a video of Motor Crash by the Sugar Cubes, which is always fun. But I really like one of my favourite things about his campaign was the idea that politics ignore the arts and the creatives. And, I mean, from our from my own experience in the UK, that seems to be the case. Arts funding gets cut. It's the first thing that gets cut, if, if it's even there, to get cut. And I really like that he was there championing those people, the writers, the you know painters, the musicians, what have you. But then also talking about how being a comedian... And being a creative brings a fresh perspective to politics. And that's why a follow-up would have been so interesting to see that mindset at play in such a different arena. Yeah, and it raises the point, doesn't it, that for such a small place, Iceland does have like a crazy cultural output. And that's oh. one of its selling points on the on the global stage is mm-hmm. culture. And I guess appreciating its worth economically and politically as well as it's worth just artistically quite well you know iceland as a whole sells itself on it needs tourism to function i think it's the biggest source of income for the country and that tourism shouldn't just have to rely on waterfalls glaciers (laughs) and volcanoes it can of course rely on not rely on it can of course depend upon the arts like they have big exports in terms of music and literature but there are so many more artists in the city doing just as wonderful things you get over there and i'm you know i'm testament to this there's just stuff happening everywhere all the time and it's fantastic if you can you know prop that up and put it on a bigger stage then it's going to be worthwhile for everyone it brings in the money that's needed 
and it allows job it gives people jobs it gives people careers and all of that you sound like a member of the best party i know it's weird (laughs) he says he supports icelandic artists and i was like sounds like this podcast So would you vote for the best party or uh, let me phrase another way. Does the best party appeal to you? I guess it depends about how much you feel you've been hard done by the the current system. Mm. It's definitely, I mean, protest movements are always appealing, aren't they? They're headline grabbing, but can they deliver the goods? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I don't think that this documentary answers that question. No, that's very true. Would you vote for the best party? I think... I probably would get caught up in the hype. You would, I, I know you, you know, would. You know, I, I think, forget that I know who some of these people are, celeb-wise or what have you. If this was going on in Bristol right now, if someone was running a campaign and going, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a comparative person. I don't know, if Stephen Merchant was running a campaign in Bristol and saying, we're going to do all these things that appeal to you, and it's funny and it's engaging. It's getting me involved with the, with politics because, quite frankly, I don't know anything about Bristol mayoral politics. Although I do know we've got a mayor, but there's also like a mayor for the wider area. But we won't have a mayor soon. We voted to get rid of the mayor. We did. I think, you know what? I think I voted not to have a mayor as well. So, <laughs> God, revealing my lack of political awareness completely here. But yeah, I think I just get swept up in the hype and... Yeah. You'd See, be one I, of the sheeple. <laughs> sure, whatever. I think just mixing it up. If 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 Bristol was in such a state that it needed a radical shake-up, then yeah, I probably would. Because it's fun, isn't it? So yeah, it's fun. But like you say, it doesn't end at the right place. Mm. It, this could have been maybe a 20-minute prologue to another 70-minute film about his time in office and and see what he did because he would have had to make important decisions that were not what he promised probably had nothing to do with anything that he promised Mm -hmm. but like talking about bin men you know that's a thing you got to do that you got to sort out wage worries with any well he had to do a lot of redundancies in public sector did he which at which you know is not really in keeping with disneyland and free towels at the swimming pool it's not no Hmm. Yeah, that would have been fascinating. But as a as a documentary that we see standalone, 
it's engaging. It's quite a fun thing to watch. There's plenty of moments that are funny. I mean, we mentioned a couple of them, but like even the fact he said he'll only work with people who've seen The Wire, which, <laughs> you know, it's it's a classic television show, but really? Uh, his favourite character is Omar, which actually great research on the uh, interviewees part, pointing out that it's Obama's favourite character too. And Gunnar could really have gone to town on his actual comparisons to to Obama but instead he really he makes a rubbish really joke. cops out with a rubbish kind of racist joke mm. so that was a bit unfortunate mm. um but I, I also really liked the moomin speech oh yeah I mean I love the moomins anyway but then again that slightly I think I'm less enamored with Yoon Mm -hmm. than you because i was like well these people are to be fair trying to do their jobs and actually get some yeah. like politicking done one of them was talking about immigration an important it, issue for sure so writing it off as really boring and then doing a speech about the moomins but it's probably a bit grating if you're actually I'm, trying to i'm sure it is but did you not think while it is very much like watching a child do a presentation at school about what the moomins is was there not that element of like actually this does relate to immigration kind of when he's talking about well actually everyone is welcome in moomin land in moomin valley except for the groke because he's boring or what have you i felt like yeah it was essentially just a joke but there was something there that he was trying to get mm. across and in an artsy way appealing to the city when people are more likely to know what the moomins are than random boring political policies well, that's a generous interpretation. <laughs> but fine. You're not feeling that. <laughs> no. Uh, anything else you wanted to say about this film then? Um, just that my favourite policy is we'll start a dinosaur park with the dinosaur raptors from Jurassic Park. Love to go to that. Now, that would be amazing. I feel like in terms of all his policies, that is the least likely to happen. <laughs> interestingly he went into power the year that i first visited iceland so my first trip was in december 2010 so he would be he'd been in power for a couple of months by that point and i had no idea about any of this <laughs> obviously because it's not the kind of thing as a tourist you go over and even if he is a celebrity in Iceland, he's certainly not a celebrity to Turn a tourist. Turn up as a tourist. Hello, good sir. Who is the mayor of this town? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are a few political tourists, but I certainly wasn't one of them. I was, yeah, far more interested in the arts, funnily enough. Um, so I can say from the ground that this had no impact on me. With their piles of bin bags sky high and no buses and all the public toilets were flooded. It or was like New like York in the 30s or whenever that, <laughs> or in the 70s even rather. Uh, no, but it was nice to see the city as, in it, the, was. as it was when I first visited because those 12 years have radically changed Reykjavik. They talk about, in that song, they talk about not wanting loads more steel and glass, etc., since I first went, there are, there is a lot more of that. There are not skyscrapers, but there's huge, huge buildings, financial buildings. There's a huge sort of mall in the old in the old town, which is ah, it's quite a shame actually. That's popped up. 
and it doesn't fit with all the corrugated houses. You've got a big old shiny H&M next mm. to the old flea market, uh, which actually reminds me, one of the funniest moments in this film, which I thought was going to set the tone for the documentary, not what we see happen, but for the like, kind of overall tone of the documentary, was when Yom Gunnar was talking about, you know, going out and meeting all the people right at the start and how lovely they all were. And then it was just covered with a shot of him on his own in the flea market, not talking to anyone, just as a lone man. I thought it was brilliant. I was like, great editing. This is going to be this is going to be very funny, funny and dry all the way throughout. But it kind of didn't have its own sense of humour. It it relied on, on Gnar's. Yeah. yeah, which is an interesting point because it it almost his surrealist and dry nature. It almost could have been like a spinal tap does politics yes. thing but it just didn't ever quite go that far and the line of what was serious and what wasn't was confused yeah brilliant well good chat just want to say shout out to a few places and people that we saw in the film Pricketh, little uh, cafe that does amazing food and drink Leugadalsloig which is the swimming pool just outside of the centre, where I always go swimming when I'm there. It's amazing geothermally heated pool. Cormaco uh, Oskaldur, I'm hopefully saying that right, which is the gents' tailors where we see Gnar getting suited and booted for his appearances, which is where I first saw Yuntzi from Sigaros, but was too afraid to approach him. Uh, and also Shone. He appears once or twice just uh, chatting to Gnar, but we don't actually see whether he's involved in the campaign or not. But I just wanted to say shout out to those places because I know them. <laughs> <laughs> I know them. Nice one. Well, I'll see you next week then. See you next week. Bye. Yeah! Well, Reykjavik is still standing, so Gunnar must have done something right. What did you make of his campaign? Would you have supported him? And if anyone wants to tell us how he fared as mayor, please do get in touch on Instagram or Twitter or drop us an email at kvickminderpod at gmail.com. Next week, we return to the city for another film by director Baldwin Sater. We've already covered the fantastic Let Me Fall in series one, so this time we're headed back a little earlier in his career for Life in a Fishbowl, or Vonastreiti, from 2014. This is available to rent or buy on Amazon, Google Play, YouTube or Apple TV. See you next week. Tack bless. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>